0: I'm excited to dive into today's message. If you have your Bibles, uh, I would ask you to go ahead and open up with me to Ephesians chapter 5. Uh, we've been studying through the book of Ephesians here, and we are actually approaching the end of the series with the, sort of the final couple of chapters, final couple of passages here. And uh, we've been in this series for much of the semester called Rooted and Grounded rooted and grounded. And we've been spending some time asking ourselves the fundamental question, what does it look like to live a rooted and grounded kind of life? A kind of life where my life isn't so thrown around by the turbulence of of my situations, where my life isn't so rattled and upended by the circumstances and the challenges that I face. But what would it look like For me as a person of faith, as a believer in this God of the Bible, what would it look like for me to live a more rooted kind of life? What would it look like for my life to be more grounded where our foundation is built on something more solid, stable, firm, and and, and rock solid? What would it look like to build our lives namely on the person of Jesus? And as we've studied through the book of Ephesians, Paul has been laying out chapter by chapter, verse by verse and showing us what a rooted and grounded kind of life looks like, a kind of life that is rooted and grounded in the person and in the work of Jesus. And today, we get to chapter 5. And Paul yet again shows us what it looks like to live in this sort of new kind of way. And so look with me at Ephesians 5. We're going to pick up at verse 1 and we'll carry through to about verse 21. And we'll spend some time here this morning unpacking the word of God here. So Ephesians 5, pick me up at verse 1. Hear the word of the Lord. This is the Apostle Paul who writes, Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children, and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. But sexual immorality and all impurity or covetousness must not not even be named among you as is proper among saints. Therefore it says, Awake, O sleeper, and arise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. Look carefully, then, how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of the time, because the days are evil. Therefore do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is, and do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart, giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. I pray that God would reveal the truth of his word to us here in our time here this morning. Friends, I imagine you have all heard the term before, the saying before, the apple doesn't fall far from the what? From the tree, right? The apple doesn't fall far from the tree. In other words... You look like where you've come from. In other words, you act like where you've come from. Perhaps the context in which that phrase, that saying is most commonly used, is when a child is, is being described in light of their parents. Now, ACF family, I wonder how many of you would say that you are very much like your parents. Now, be careful. we got some parents in the room. Some of you are sitting next to your parents. You, you, know, you might want to be careful how you answer that. But, but you know, like how, how, how many of you would say, you know what, I, man, I I am like my parents, I am like my dad, I'm like my mom. You know, maybe it's just the mannerisms or certain way that you carry yourselves or the certain ways that you handle your situation. You might identify yourself as someone who is like mom or like dad. You know, for for me, for the longest time, I I thought to myself, no way am I like my dad. I love my dad, but but I, I thought to myself, no way am I like my dad. But, you know, as time went on and as I became older particularly when I had kids. I said, "Uh (laughs) uh-oh, I'm a lot more like my old man than I had originally imagined. I'm a lot more like my dad than I had originally thought. You know, for instance, I've got a short temper like my dad. I hate to admit it, but it's true. I have a hard time multitasking like my dad, you know. when. You know, many of you know we have a concession stand that we work at, at every home game, and, and I'm busy working away. I'm busy, you know, making fries or making burgers and all these things. And, and, and people are trying to have small talk with me, right? Like, I'm like, shut up, man. I'm trying to cook these burgers. I can't concentrate. I can't talk to you while I'm cooking burgers here, right? And so I have a hard time multitasking. In fact, a lot of times people think I'm angry when I'm working. It's like, no, I'm just focused, man. I can't focus on you while I'm doing this thing. And so I have a hard time multitasking. And my dad, has a hard time multitasking. I'm known to be intense and passionate, very much like my dad. I have a lead foot when I drive like my dad. I drive fast and hard. I'm even balding like my dad. I don't love that. My wife doesn't love that. Nicole's like, had I known that about you, I'm not sure I would have married you. You know, But, but listen, I'm going to rock this hair as long as I can until it all falls out. But I, I'm, I'm balding like my dad, and I've sort of come to embrace it. You see, friends, it's normal for us to look like where we've come from. Because where and who we've come from determines a lot of who we are and the kinds of people we are today. And in a lot of ways, Paul's message to us in today's Today's passage is, spiritually speaking, you are to look like where you've come from. But more specifically, you are to look like the one from whom you've come from. You are to look like the one whom you've come from. In other words, as God's children, okay, hear me, we ought to look like our dad in heaven, We ought to look like our Heavenly Father. We ought to reflect his values. We ought to reflect his thoughts. We ought to reflect his behaviors and his actions. We ought to reflect his very heartbeat. Paul knows how difficult that can be at times. In fact, if you've walked with Jesus any length of time, you know how hard that can be at times. Which is why he opens this passage with this exhortation. He says, therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children. Friends, this is both a reminder and an encouragement. He is reminding us that we are to look like where we've come from, right? But he knows that where we are, present tense, where we are is always in conflict with where we've come from. In other words, this present life we're living, okay, some of you can testify to this, this present life we're living seems to want to move us in the opposite direction of where God intends for us to go. And then we'll say amen to that, right? You, you know what I'm talking about. The, the tension and the struggle of, 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 of this world pulling our affections, pulling our heart, pulling our attention in every conceivable direction and way that is opposite the way that God intends for us to go. last week we talked about putting off our old selves and putting on our new selves and friends we need that reminder because it's so easy it's so easy for us to slip back into the life that God has delivered us from it's so easy to slip back into our old selves and so Paul gives us this additional encouragement in chapter 5 in the opening verse he says hey remember who you've come from you are God's beloved children, and as his children, you are to reflect who God is. You are to live your life in a way that when people look at your life, they say, boy, doesn't that person really look like their father in heaven? When people look at your life, they've got to they be able to say, man, doesn't that person really reflect? Doesn't that person really give off that vibe like, like that they're a child of God, like they know that they belong to God? This past week, I met a a, a student and, you know, for the first time, but uh, but I just had this sense. I knew where he was from. I couldn't put my finger on it. I said, hey, where, where are you from? He said, I'm from Long Island. I said, I knew it. I knew it. I knew you were from New York. You see, friends, if you don't know this, a fellow native New Yorker has a special unique gift to spot out other fellow native New Yorkers. And so it was. Just, I don't know what it was. It was the way he talked, the way he carried himself. It just had that vibe about him. You see, when the world looks at us, there should be this vibe that we give off, this sense that we give off. The people say, man, I know where this person comes from, who this person comes from. This is a, is a child of the living God. This person knows who they're having. Father is and who they've come from. And for the remainder of this passage, Paul then unpacks for us what it looks like to be an imitator of God. He tells us how to imitate God. He doesn't just tell us, hey, imitate God because you ought to. No, no, no. He then tells us and unpacks for us just how to imitate God. And to steal the words of the modern day theologian, St. Stephen Tyler, Paul's message to us today is, walk this way. Walk this way. Walk this way. You know what I'm talking about, right? Walk this way. We're not going to finish the song because this is church. We're holy, right? Like, he says, walk this way. He says, walk this way. Paul instructs us in three particular ways that we as the beloved children of God are to walk in a way that reflects the nature of our Heavenly Father, reflects the nature of who God is. And the first way he tells us to walk is to walk in love. Walk in love. Walk in love. Beloved children of God, imitate God. And here's how you do it. You walk in love. In verse 2, Paul, right out of the gate, he says, And walk in love. As Christ loved us, loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. The key marker for the children of God, friends, is to be one of love. It's to be one of love. But now, what does it mean to walk in love? Sounds nice. What does that mean? Well, in verses 2 through 6, Paul goes into detail of what walking in love entails. He says a lot here. We're not going to unpack all of this. In fact, he says a lot here in this entire passage. We're not going to unpack all of it. But I just want to point out one thing in particular under this point of walking in love. In verse 3, Paul says, but sexual immorality and all impurity or covetousness must not even be named among you as is proper among saints. In other words... There shouldn't even be a hint of this in your life. There shouldn't even be a whiff of this in your life. There shouldn't be any remote association with this kind of living, with this kind of being in your life. And then if you skip over to verse 5, he continues, and he adds more weight to this thought. He says in verse 5, for you may be sure of this. You can guarantee this that everyone who is sexually immoral or impure or who is covetous, that is an idolater, has no inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. Now, I don't care so much to qualify or quantify what Paul means here by sexual immorality here this morning. That's not the, that's not the, the main driving message of today's time. In fact, I think the church often gets into trouble when we try to be overly prescriptive with passages of scripture that are perhaps meant to be more descriptive... What we tend to do is we tend to take passages like the one we're looking at today and, and, and faith communities and church communities, they, they, they tend to craft a whole series and a set of rules and restrictions and regulations of what you can and cannot do. That thou shalt do this, thou shalt not do this. All the while, we miss the heart of what is actually being said. You see, what Paul is describing here is really the issue of misguided loves or misplaced passions. That's what Paul is talking about here. He's not trying to tell us, give us parameters so much as, as much as he is trying to give us some guiding principles of, hey, we, what I'm addressing here, what I want to deal with you, Ephesians, is this issue of misguided loves and misplaced passions. Now, you, you may not hear this enough in the church, but let me tell you, sexual desires, it's a good thing. Oh, it's a good thing. It's a good thing. Now, misguided sexual desires quickly becomes a bad thing. To, to want and desire things in this life can be really good, but misplaced wants, misguided desires can lead us to the sin of covetousness, which Paul says is really idolatry. Now, we do this all the time to some degree, like in varying forms, right? From the small stuff to the big stuff, right? If, if we're hungry, okay, for example, if we're hungry, we don't always reach for the healthy stuff. Come on now, right? Like the stuff that's good for us, and the stuff that's good for our health. I may very well know that there's a bag of baby carrots in the bottom drawer of my fridge, but I also know that there's an unopened bag of Doritos in my pantry. And guess what I'm going to reach for 98% of the time when I'm hungry? The Doritos. Okay, I'm going to reach for the Doritos. Misguided hunger. right? Now, now that's, that's something small, seemingly insignificant, right? But, but what about the big stuff in our lives? What about the big stuff? You want to feel accomplished in life. You want to feel important. Significant in life. And so what do you do? You work, and you work, and you work, and you work. You work yourself to death to the point of workaholism, which by the way, our culture seems to celebrate, which is really not anything worthwhile celebrating because all workaholism is showing is that you are enslaved to your work. You're enslaved to your work. And we work because you think that somehow in your work, you will find some sense of value in, your, in the success of your work. You think that somehow you will find a sense of self-worth. But in the end, you talk to anyone that's running on this track, you will find that they are still deeply empty inside. And that's because your passions are misplaced. Or what about the person who is so deeply longing for companionship? that they will literally give themselves sexually and physically to just about anyone in hopes to find that sense of intimacy in hopes to find that sense of love and belonging that that person aches for at their core level. But, but once again, I have heard this time and time again, story after story, right here on the campus of Penn State. In the end, they end up feeling lonelier than ever before, hurt than ever before, more isolated than ever before, more empty than ever before. What, what is that? Why is that? It's because their life is driven by misguided loves, misplaced passion. To walk in love, then, is to realign our desires, our longings, our deepest passions back on the one whom we have come from. It's to realign our heart's deepest longings and desires and to recalibrate our lives so that it is placed squarely back on the one. Whom we have come from walking in love is placing our desires and rooting our passions, our longings on the one who calls us his own. When we find all of our deepest longings and passions met in Christ, hear me church, that's when we begin to walk in love. Jesus said in the gospels, the greatest commandment, you know this right, the greatest commandment is this. It's to perform for Jesus, right? It's to follow these rules for Jesus. It's to follow these guidelines and these restrictions and stay in boundaries for Jesus. No, that's not what he says. That's not what he says. He says, this is the greatest commandment. Love. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And the second is the same. Love others like yourself. That's what it means to walk in love, walk in love. The second way to walk that Paul instructs us is he says to walk in the light, walk in the light. You want to know how to best imitate God, you learn to step out of the darkness and walk in the light. Paul begins to say in verse eight, look with me if you have your Bibles open, for at one time you were darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. And listen to what he says. He says, now, walk as children of light. Walk as children of light. For the fruit of light is found in all that is good and right and true and try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. Take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness, but instead expose them. For it is shameful even to speak of the things that they do in secret. But when anything is exposed by the light, it becomes visible. For anything that becomes visible is light. Therefore, it says, awake, O sleeper, and arise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. Walk in the light. Now, I'm not going to ask you to raise your hands here this morning. We're not going to do a public confessional or anything like that, but uh, but I do wonder if you've ever found yourself in this place saying things like, no one needs to know about this. No one needs to know about this part of my life. No one, No one's going to find out about this, or at least I sure hope no one finds out about this. I hope I... I don't ever get exposed for this part of my life. I hope I don't ever get exposed for this thing in my life. Besides, what I'm doing is not really affecting anyone, right? These choices that I make are my choices, and no one even cares about this, and no one even cares about what I'm doing. And, And so it really shouldn't matter if no one knows about this. I'd rather keep it that way. Now, I'm being intentionally vague here, because those statements can can apply to a number of different situations in our lives, right? But the one thing that they all have in common is, these are things that are said by someone who has grown accustomed and familiar to living in the dark. These are things that someone who walks in darkness might say. People who walk in the light don't sound like that. In in fact, someone who walks in the light might say something fundamentally very different. They might say, who can I talk to about this? Who can I talk to about this? I I, I believe there's gotta be a way that I can be freed from this. There's gotta be a way that I can be delivered from this. I'm done hiding. I'm done with keeping secrets. I'm done with the dishonesty. I'm done with the hypocrisy. I need to share this part of my life with someone. It's suffocating me. I need to expose this for what it is. I need to get it out there. You see, that's the language of light. That's the language of life. People walk in the light, speak and think in that nature. Friends, the great lie that we have been sold is that we must keep our sin a secret. The great lie that we have been sold by the world and by the enemy of our souls is that we must keep our sin a secret. Exposing the dark places of my life will be ugly and hard and awful and difficult. And so, you know what? It's just easier to sweep this under the rug and pretend that it doesn't exist. And that's how most people in this world live. But we as children of God are called to walk in the light. And so we, we, hear me, we read passages like this. We hear verses like verse 11. Look at this. Paul says, take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness, but instead expose them. Expose them. And if you jump over to verse 13, he says, but when anything is exposed by the light, it becomes visible. For anything that becomes visible is light. And for those of us who live in darkness, for those of us who have grown accustomed to living in the dark, nothing feels more terrifying than the light. Nothing feels more threatening to our well-being than the thought of being exposed. And so we hear passages like what Paul is saying here, and, and, and there's a part of us, for those of us who are accustomed to hiding and those of us who are accustomed to sweeping things under the rug, we're like, why would I want that? Why would I want to be exposed? This seems like a terrible idea. I don't want this in my life. This feels threatening to my safety. And so, consequently, we who live in the darkness remain in darkness because, quite frankly, Frankly, it feels safer in the dark than it does in the light. Now, I wonder if you caught the good news at the end of verse 14. Did you catch it? Paul references here what many believe to be a hymn that was sung in the early church. He quotes this hymn, and he says, Awake, O sleeper, and arise from the dead. Which, by the way, biblically speaking, those who walk in the dark are effectively dead okay? Uh, Biblically speaking, we we talked about this in previous weeks as well. Those who walk in darkness are actually the walking dead. But the great irony here, get this, the great irony of of our perceived safety in the dark is that we are actually furthest away from safety when we live in the dark. We are most in danger when we remain in the dark. That's why this hymn says, awake, O sleeper, arise from the dead. And then check this out. It says, in Christ." will shine on you. Christ will shine on you. You see, friends, the light that exposes you is not intended to shame you. It is intended to free you. The light that shines into your life in your darkness is not intended to expose you or to embarrass you or to bring shame onto your life. It is intended to free you and deliver you. When it says Christ will shine on you, friends, you've got to understand who Christ is. He is the lover of your soul. He is the caring shepherd of your heart. He is the compassionate king who is Lord over your life. And when he shines on you, he does it in hopes to deliver you from the power of darkness and from the grip of shame. It is not to impose more shame on you, but it is to do the very opposite to deliver you and free you from the grip of shame and the power of darkness. And that's why Paul says, Walk as children of light, walk in the light, and Christ will shine on you. Lastly, Paul says walk in wisdom. Walk in love. Walk in the light. And he wraps up this passage by instructing us to walk in wisdom. Verse 15, Paul says it very clear. He says, look carefully then how you walk. Not as unwise, but as wise. Walk this way. Talk this way, right? Not as the unwise, but as wise. And then, and once again, Paul describes what walking in wisdom looks like in verses 15 to the end of this passage here. But I just want to point out one of those verses. We could spend a whole lot of time unpacking it. I know this is a long passage, and we're not going to cover every piece of it. But I want, to, I want to point out just one of those verses in this portion of this passage. Paul says in verse 17, he says, Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. Here Paul contrasts foolishness with wisdom. If you know biblical literature, you know that there is a sharp contrast, especially in the book of Proverbs, but all throughout scripture, there's a sharp contrast between the fool and the wise, between wisdom and foolishness. And Paul circles back around that biblical theme and he says, don't be like those people. Don't be be a fool. Do not be foolish foolish. And he correlates wisdom then in this particular verse with understanding the will of God. You want to know? You want to know how to determine, distinguish a fool from a wise person? The fool is the person who is completely oblivious and ignorant to the will of God, while the wise person is the one who understands, perceives, and walks in the will of God. How do you understand the will of God? That is a common question that I hear oftentimes uh, throughout uh, co- your college career. There, there are going to be points in times where you ask yourself, whether you believe in God or not, there's going to be a point in time where you say, What's my purpose? What's my, what's my next step? Where's, where's my life headed? Where am I going? And for those of us who are professing believers and people who believe in Jesus and walk with Jesus, we might, we might, we might phrase that as, what's the will of God in my life? What is? How do I discern God's will for my life? Let me just offer a three quick ways here, and then we'll wrap up this message. Three ways that we might go about addressing this issue of discerning God's will in our lives. The first is this, know the word. Know the word. Uh, Second is seek godly counsel. Third is retreat in his presence. Uh, Let me me just jump on this first point. Know the word. Friends, you ought to know, God will never tell you to do something that he has not already told you to do in his word. In, In other words, his spoken word in your life will never contradict his written word. His spoken word, what God tells you to do, will never contradict what is already written in his word. And so if you want to know that you're walking in the will of God, make sure you're walking in the word. So for some of us, we think, you know, I'm going to figure out what God wants me to do in my life and the trajectory of my life and all of those things apart from scripture. Uh, you know, the Bible, Eh, whatever, that can stay on my shelf. God, what do you want? What do you want? What do you want for my life? What's your will for my life? All the while, God's like it. Brother man, I already told you what I want for your life. Go to the word. Go, get in my word. And when you know my word, you will know my heart. When you know my heart, you will know the direction for your life. And so know the word. Know the word. Uh, but the second is seek godly counsel. Friends, God has given us the gift of the body, the community of believers, to speak into one another's lives. God has given us the gift of the body, and so lean on some trusted voices in your life to help you discern the voice of God and discern the will of God. But hear me, hear me. This is less about finding someone to tell you what to do, and it's more about finding someone who will help you ask the right questions. This is a big one because I think when we think of seek godly counsel, and for those of us who grew up in the church, this is not a new concept. We've heard this before, seek godly counsel, right? I think for some of us, we translate that in our minds for whatever reason as go to the person who has all the answers. Go to the person who's going to tell you what to do and how to live. i got to tell you, friends, the best counsel that I have received in my life consisted of sitting across the table from someone who was asking me soul-searching questions that pushed me to listen for the voice of Jesus in my life. It wasn't the person who said, okay, Dan, here are all the things you need to do. Get out a piece of paper. I'm going I'm to write out all the things that you need to do step by step. That, that's actually, believe it or not, that's not the best counsel there is. The best counsel there is, is finding someone who will ask the right questions of you, who will help you push you towards listening for the voice of the Good Shepherd in your life. I had mentors in my life. It used to drive me nuts. I hated this. I hated this. I had mentors in my life, in my college years, where I was going through some stuff, relational problems, sorting through calling issues and and all these things, purpose questions, and I would say, hey, Ron, like, help me process this. What do I do? What do I do? And he would say, go ask Jesus. I'm like, yeah, 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 but what would you tell me to do? Right? Like, I know, I, I, I'll, I'll ask him later, but what, tell me what to do, Ron. I, I, need, I need godly counsel right now. And he said, just go away and be with the Lord for a little while. Which actually leads me to this third point. Retreat in his presence. Sometimes you just need to retreat and unplug from the noise and the busyness of life in order to hear from the heart of God. And by the way, that's exactly what we're looking to do next weekend at our ACF retreat. We're looking to unplug and just get away to be with Jesus. Because oftentimes, a change of pace, a change of scenery, a change of environment is what is required for us to be able to keep our ears open and our hearts attentive to the voice of God. And so trying to discern the will of God, you you may very well want to take a day, and I've, I've incorporated this even in my own practice and in my own life. When I'm at critical forks in the road and I need to make a decision, I, I don't know what the will of God is in my life. I don't go to Google. I don't YouTube. I, I, don't, I don't go to, you know, a, a, a pastor or a mentor. Like, that, that comes later, okay? And I'll address that in just a minute. But, but what I do oftentimes is I just grab my Bible, my journal, my phone, and a pair of earbuds, and I just go off for a day. And I just, I go for a walk, I go for a hike, I go for a, to, to a remote place where I'm changing up my scenery, changing up my environment, I'm getting myself out of my normal routine, and there's something that happens mentally, spiritually, emotionally, and physically even that, that enables you to, to hear the voice of God in a fresh way when you get yourself out of your normal sort of pace and routine, particularly here at Penn State. And so it might be that you take even half a day, it doesn't even need to be a full day, Where you just go away off-site somewhere and you just begin to process with the Lord whatever it is that you're needing his direction on. Lord, what is it that you're saying to me? And then, and then, you may then want to go back to a trusted voice, a mentor, or a spiritual coach, an advisor of some sort, and say, Hey, I spent some time with the Lord here. I want to share with you my findings, and I want to share with you what I felt like God was downloading to me. Can you give me some feedback on this? What are you hearing? What are you sensing based on what I'm sharing, what God has shared with me? You see, this, this retreating into his presence is in a lot of ways where we receive the understanding and the acknowledgement of the will of God in our lives. Know the word. Seek godly counsel. Retreat in his presence. And that's how you walk in wisdom. That's how you walk in Wisdom. Beloved children of God, I say to you this morning, walk this way. Walk this way. Walk in love. Realign those misguided loves and misplaced passions in your life squarely on the one whom you've come from. Walk in the light. Walk in the light. By the way, you keep living in hiding, the darkness will suffocate you. There will come a point in your time where the darkness will become suffocating to you. The only way to true life, the only way to true abundant John 10.10 kind of living, Jesus says, I've come to give you life and life to the full. The only way to access that is to walk in the light and allow the light of Christ to shine on you. Walk in the light and finally walk in wisdom. Walk in wisdom. Church family, imitate your heavenly father so that when the world looks at you, they won't have a shadow of a doubt what tree this apple fell from. They'll know, they'll know that this person belongs to the most high king because of how I'm seeing them walk, walk this way. Won't you pray with me?